So we've been looking for a couple of months at the Sermon on the Mount, which if you had a red letter Bible, that's the section of the Bible that's all red, starting in Matthew chapter 5. And um, what I've been doing is using the Sermon on the Mount, uh, both it, the categories it gives, but also using the Sermon on the Mount to talk about other times Jesus said similar things and to give us the most robust picture I can deliver leading up into Easter. So last year we looked at a different gospel, and this year we're looking at um, especially the Sermon on the Mount leading up to Easter when we'll then focus on the Beatitudes, which is the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And what happens in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus alludes to, speaks very directly about uh, temptation. And then Matthew chapter 18 is the longest section of direct teaching on temptation. Right before the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself was tempted in Matthew chapter 4. So I'm going to bounce around a little bit um, in the text, which is going to frustrate me, because I'm going to want us to have one verse and kind of have an hour with it, especially with this topic. But I'm not going to take an hour. You know, it's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. The main text that I'm using today is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 7 through 9. Um, I don't know if I even told you that, Nathan. Despite the fact that you had an outline a month ago, that might not have been in it. Sorry. If you have your Bible, picking up in verse 7, and this will sound like some Sermon on the Mount material because Jesus said this more than once, tweaking some words here and there. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Wow. Kind of strong language. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. We know that Jesus is exaggerating because... If you sin with your right eye and you cut it out, you can still sin with your left eye. You know that if you have a tendency towards violence, your hand is causing you to sin, and you cut it off, you're not suddenly not a violent person. So why would Jesus exaggerate like that? To get our attention. To teach us that we will be tempted, and there's an opportunity for us to seek first the kingdom of God, to avoid temptation, and thereby live a flourishing life. The offer of the good news, the offer of the good news is that you and I get to flourish, even here, even in a world where Jesus said, woe to this world. We can still flourish. We can live lives of life. Jesus longs for you and for me to flourish here and eternally, this afternoon, on Wednesday, to enjoy the joy that he purchased for us, to enjoy the peace he purchased for us, both with God and with others. And one of the ways that we learn to enjoy that joy is through avoiding temptation. The dominant way we avoid temptation is praying to avoid temptation. Now, the second that I say temptation, I kind of think we get into this, like I have this understanding of religious words, and it is impossible to understand temptation if and when we think that Christianity is about rules, if we think that Christianity is about commands. We cannot understand the Bible if we think that that's what it is, because you don't even get a rule for 70 chapters, not even in the first book. 
What is the Bible? It's the story of God's pursuit of his people. We don't understand the story of Scripture, which predates the Bible and has a, uh, has a lot more going on than what we know from the text. God existed before creation. We don't understand God if we immediately default, and this is why we do it, by the way. It's not because we're stupid. It's not because we don't know the Bible. The reason we default to thinking that the Bible is about things like temptation and rules is because that's what humans do. We get religious. We think if we do something simple, then we've taken care of God, check the box. It's very natural. We don't understand God when we think that he's that way. We don't understand the gospel of Jesus, which is that you're loved and liked, saved, freed because of the work of Christ and given the Holy Spirit. Then we would approach temptation and perhaps understand it. The biggest irony is, we, irony is we don't understand the commands or teachings on temptation when we begin our thoughts of God or our thoughts of church or our thoughts of Christianity or our thoughts of the scripture or our thoughts of the Bible thinking God wants me to behave. God wants me to be nice. God wants me to keep his rules. That's what makes him happy. Not only do we not understand the Bible, not only do we not understand the story, not only do we not understand God or the gospel, we don't have a shot at understanding why he would teach us with such strong language to flee temptation and to ask for help with it in the Lord's Prayer if we start there. There are a lot of commands in Scripture, and they always follow the promises of God. The Ten Commandments are in Exodus chapter 20. That's the list. That's the time Jesus, or God, well, both wrote with their finger into stone. How to love him, commands one through four, and how to love each other, commands five through ten. And it's after he saves them out of slavery. It's the same for the New Testament. It's the same for you and for me. The dominant metaphor of the New Testament is the Exodus. We are saved from a greater slavery to sin and death. Then... We follow. And one of the key components of following is learning to ask for help with temptation. It's learning to share with our brothers and sisters when and where and how and why we're tempted. It is especially learning to pray for help when we're tempted. And that begins with recognizing that there is one who resisted all temptation to purchase a flourishing life here and eternally for you and for me. When we then remember that, we ask a question that Christians have asked since they began to understand the gospel of Jesus. How then shall we live? We do ask that question after we understand the story, after we understand the promises of God, after we understand the work of Christ on our behalf, after we trust that, as Kim reflected in the prayer, after we learn the joyful dependence on God, then we ask the question, how then shall we live? And when we turn to a text like the one in Matthew chapter 18 or in Matthew chap chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is warning us about pain. That's what temptation is. It's a description of one of the kinds of pain we will experience as followers of Jesus. The most direct thing we learn to do with temptation, and before I even explain or, or try and define it, I want to look briefly at Matthew chapter 6. 
That's the last part of the Lord's Prayer. You hopefully pray that every day. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Most of you, I think, say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, and that's fine. That's from First Chronicles. But Jesus ended the prayer in Matthew 6 and in Luke chapter 11 with that, a request for protection from the evil that we don't see and the evil we do see. So in a fundamental sense, that's what temptation is. It's evil that you and I can see, and we sometimes choose because of its short-term effect on us. And a long-term effect is one of pain, when Jesus teaches us about temptation, he's teaching us one of the ways that the world will cause us pain and that we can avoid it and learn to live a life of life. That's a quote from a good friend of mine who did his PhD thesis on the words life and death, especially the way the Apostle Paul used it in Galatians. I realize I say it all the time and I forget to give him credit. His name is Dr. Lowell Robert Griggs, just to be clear who said that the first time that I heard it. Live lives of life. When Jesus teaches on temptation, it's to help us live lives of life. One thing about the Lord's Prayer and the way that Jesus said it, the reason he said we pray, lead us not into temptation, is not because God leads us into temptation. It's to remind us that we pray boldly for protection because we need help avoiding temptation. God does not tempt you. God allows you to be tempted you want to take that up with him, you'll probably sound like a psalmist if you're honest. That's good. He does not tempt you. He allows you to be tempted. The reason he teaches that way was to remind us with clarity and strength and power, waving his arms rhetorically, ask for help. Because this is a world that will cause us pain. It's not the only kind of pain, but it's a teaching technique. Jesus warns us in chapter 5 and 6 and 7, that our anger can lead through temptation to sin against others. Anger in and of itself, not sin. But if we hit back, that's sin. Jesus, that's when he starts to talk about um, calling others fools in our mind. I know that you're a spiritually and emotionally mature bunch. You would not ever think to call anyone a name. But Jesus is gently showing us that that tendency is a destructive one to ourselves and to neighbor. And temptation is the bridge between the feeling of anger and then the lashing out. He's encouraging us to avoid it, that we might live lives of life and flourish. When he talks about lust, he uses the same language from Matthew chapter 18. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I don't know if your eyes are tempted to sin. No, that's not true. Your eyes are tempted to sin. Jesus is waving his arms and saying, this is a big deal. You might naturally think it's not a big deal when your imagination starts to go to places of violence or sexuality that are unhealthy. But it is a big deal and you are to avoid it and you are to pray for help with it. Jesus also modeled a response to temptation. That's not primarily what happened in Matthew chapter 4. Primarily what happens in Matthew chapter 4 is God, who was, who was incarnated in Jesus Christ, resisted temptation. Have you ever heard the gospel described as Jesus lived the life we couldn't live? Died the death that sin requires? Well, here's that life lived. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Thank you, Matthew, for including that. Of course he was hungry. But he was fully man. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Okay, so there's a lot there. How much time? Do you have? Do you have lunch plans? <laughs> thank you for the honesty. Um, thank you that it was just one of you. Um, there's a lot going on here. Three times he's tempted. Three times he goes to his disciples when he's in Gethsemane. He's in the wilderness 40 days. The Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6 and 7 and 8. An Israelite listener understands Jesus is beginning to embody, beginning for them, fully embody the nation of Israel. Through him now, men and women are reconciled to God. He has become the true nation of Israel. John 15 speaks to this also. He's also living the sinless life before us tempted directly by the evil one. We are tempted by the world, which is less intense. We're hopefully not tempted in such weakness as 40 days without food. Here he is tempted powerfully and is without sin, which is part of our theology that he was without sin, which is why his atoning sacrifice on the cross can accept the wrath of God and free us from sin and from death. Jesus warns us about pain in prayer. Jesus warns us about pain in, in warning through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus models a response to temptation in the way that he lived and then taught on. He's talking about one of the three kinds of pain. There are more kinds of pain, but for our purposes, let's create a big umbrella. In three kinds of pain that you and I experience. One, we talked about a lot last week and about a month ago, which is the pain that others cause us. As Christians, we absolutely, 100%, as quickly as possible, must forgive. Forgiveness is not desiring the other's ruin, desiring their good. It may or may not involve restoration, okay? I know I say that a lot. It's because we get confused. We beat ourselves up a lot. That's one kind of pain, the pain others cause us. There's circumstantial pain. Ten years ago, I was diagnosed with a very curable form of cancer. The only way you can develop this cancer other than circumstances that we don't understand is to have a three-pack-a-day habit. I smoke cigars sometimes, but I do not and did not have a three-pack-a-day habit. It was a really painful season of life. 
there's circumstantial pain. The Bible speaks to that, calls it suffering and sickness. The summary Bible statement towards that is this is not how it's supposed to be. Jesus heals and he will, will heal. That's another kind of pain. The kind of pain temptation covers is a different one. It's the pain we cause ourselves. When in anger we hit back and don't turn the other cheek, that's causing pain to ourselves and our neighbor. When we are unable to avoid the violence or, or sexual or other images with our eyes, we're causing pain to ourselves and to others. When we are unable to avoid greed, Jesus spoke about greed all the time. Do you know that you're tempted to greed, to not use your stuff for, with generosity? Also for you, generous to yourself, but to others. We cause ourselves and our community pain. So Jesus warns about pain and he offers the kingdom path. Matthew chapter 18, the section that we looked at, doesn't really include a whole lot of good news. The good news is before and in other parts of the Sermon on the Mount, the good news is that he can respond well to the temptations, the many, many temptations according to Jesus in front of us, temptations to not forgive, temptations towards anger, temptations towards an unhealthy expression of our sexuality, temptations towards greed, we can resist those and then live the life of life he called us to. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount describes us as salt and light, good for the culture, good for understanding the world and ourselves. That's light and salt. Towards the end, Jesus offers this in the form of, of strongly worded good news. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, which in this case is to avoid temptation, will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. I'm in chapter 7, verse 24. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus is offering in the Sermon on the Mount and in his, all of his teachings and modeling, he's offering a kingdom path to us. It's not intuitive. It's not basic to learn to love your neighbor. It's not simple. It's not easy. It's not a matter of intelligence. We're not naturally good at it, and he offers us the opportunity anyway. <laughs> How do we do it? We confess and believe that he is who he said he is. We then move into trust. Not only trusting him to save us from sin and ultimately from eternal death, we're trusting that he knows what's best for us. That's part of temptation. Every time temptation begins with, do you really believe you are who he says you are? You notice the first two of the, of the devil's questions for Jesus were, do you really believe that? He gave up by the third try because Jesus was so confident and Jesus-like. With you and me, the temptations come and it's real subtle. It's real quiet. Do you really believe your salt and light? Most of the letters in the New Testament call those who are trusting Jesus saints. Do you really believe you're a saint? I like to say that 
we are sons and daughters of the true king. The, temp- the tempting words will be, do you really believe that? And when we waver, then we think hitting back will feel good in the short term and the long term. When we waver, we think that our stuff is for us and we get a little greedy. When we waver, we use our words for pain and not for love, either silently or actively. We think in the short term that's going to make us feel better, and it might. Which is why Jesus used such strong language to help us know that long term, his ways are his ways describe the life of life he purchased. His ways are how we enjoy the peace that he purchased when we learn to avoid temptation and seek first his categories. That's Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. All the desires that, that temptation then turns into sin, they're good desires. Our, des- our, our greed is, don't I deserve some good things? Yes, of course. But it's not just about us. When we misuse our skin, you know what I'm talking about. It's a good desire to be known and loved by another human. That's a good desire that God gave to you. And there is a destructive and a healthy way to express that. You are often anger, angry for righteous and good reasons. But, but the hitting back is not the right way to do that anger. The desire is good. The reason sometimes, not all the time, sometimes the reason you're angry even in traffic is actually because you're watching injustice occur. Amen? Come on. You've seen the people with these stop signs. It's a good desire, but in a broken world where we do not always know what's best for us, it is twisted through temptation. Jesus offers the kingdom path, which is interpretation and life. Jesus is helping us know what to do when we're tempted with anger. Jesus is telling us what to do when we're tempted to despair. Despair is not a sin. Can it lead to sin? Of course. How much easier is it when we're despairing to believe that God doesn't actually desire our best? And therefore, we stop turning to him and hearing him explain how to do anger and how to do friendship and how to do sexuality and what to do with our money and stuff. Yesterday, I was a little anxious, worrying a little bit about you guys, some of my own issues. And because I'm a pastor and quite holy, I went to my room and I closed the door and I got my prayer journal and I started praying. Or... I literally don't know how this happened, but I was in the pantry eating chips. (laughs) I was at the dining room table working on my sermon. I do not remember leaving the dining room table, being in the hallway, going through the kitchen, or how I got there eating the chips, by the way, that are for my kids' lunch. (laughs) There are adult snack foods that are more designated for that, and I'm standing there eating, and I I literally, I don't remember taking the chip clip off. I had trouble finding it later. I'm standing there eating. And listen, the chips are not evil. Chips are awesome. (laughs) 
But if I'm going to the chips to make me feel different instead of to the Lord with my anxiety, that is how temptation sends us in the opposite direction of remembering actively with our words, with our body, with our sexuality, with our stuff, with our greed, with our imagination, with our mind, that God is good and he knows what's best for us and we can trust him. I did put the chips away. I had this moment of clarity, perhaps, because I knew I'd be standing in front of you the next day. It's one of the best and worst things about being a pastor in the whole world. Standing there eating the chips, about to talk about temptation. You believe these things about prayer and the gospel of Jesus, and you're like, I believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> and it also means we'll have chips for their snacks for the week, so that's better, you know, from a store standpoint. Jesus teaches us about avoiding temptation, about remembering that we trust him and to trust him with our heart, with our decisions, with our activity, with our mind, imagination, body, and words to guide us. Woe to this world, and yet there's an opportunity in front of us through learning to avoid temptation, through learning how God describes the with God life in practice with neighbor and especially through prayer. If I have one encouragement for you that you'll actually do, it's this. When you pray the Lord's Prayer this week, take off the ending part. Just, maybe just for this week. If you like the ending, that's okay. It's scriptural from First Chronicles. For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Beautiful. Sounds great. It's fantastic. But take it off only for this week because... When Jesus taught on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 11, after the disciples asked him to teach again, he taught the same thing again, he concluded, protect us from the evil that we don't see and the evil that we do see, and that is temptation. So this week, when you pray, Pray that he would protect you from temptation. I don't know what tempts you. Maybe you're sweet. My savory analogy did no good for you because you're an ice cream person. And I'm talking real low-level stuff. Not that it's not sin. Ice cream is absolutely not sin. Ice cream is a good gift. <laughs> but a whole lot of it because we need to feel different because of how unsettled we are is leading us on the path to not trusting the Lord with all of our life. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what your eyes struggle with. I don't know about your hands. I don't know about your skin or your imagination or your words. I do know that Jesus repeatedly warned us about temptation because he longs for us to flourish. And in trusting him, we do because he purchased that new life for us because he then guides us in the with God life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are tempted. We are tempted to overbelieve our fears, though they are legitimate. We are tempted to believe the voices that shame us, though they are illegitimate, especially next to your voice that calls us beloved sons and daughters of the king. We are tempted by our anger to retreat 
or to lash back, even though anger in and of itself is not the problem. Lord, would you help us to flee from all the many forms of temptation? And would you help us to seek first your kingdom, your words, the way that you guide us into real life, loving you and neighbor? Father, protect us this week. Jesus, guide us away from the evil that we can see. Holy Spirit, fill us with the sense that we are loved and liked and affirmed and comforted and held by you this very minute and lead us into lives of life. Lord, we know that we have you and yet we need you. Amen.